Welcome to Rigor Margaritas, a podcast about murder, mayhem, mystery, and most importantly, margaritas. Before we begin, we just want to issue a warning. This podcast contains adult language and dialogue, along with descriptions of crime scenes, assault, and other disturbing material. Discussion of alcohol consumption and dark humor are also contained within the parameters of this podcast. Viewer discretion is advised. So I want to call out Sam real quick because, listen, I know we just started the episode, but literally I pull into her yard. I arrive at her house. I go into her basement where we are currently recording. And she has fucking land before time on. <laughs> and it's the scene where Littlefoot's mom dies. Getting me all depressed before we're supposed to record a fucking show where we're going to talk about depressing shit. What kind of a message <laughs> are you trying to send to I me? Wanted, I wanted to set the mood. <laughs> I wanted to put on a depressing childhood movie. You know, that's one of the top depressing childhood movies for us you know after that brief rewatch that we just had i want to say that that's like the depressing childhood movie (laughs) like we were talking about it as it was happening but first of all everyone's racist second of all like the the death scene with the mother like we were talking about this because you're like oh my god it's like when bambi's mom dies like no bambi's mom dies but like you just see her go like run bambi run and then like you just hear the gunshot you don't actually see but when <laughs> Littlefoot's mom is dying, when Littlefoot's mom's dying, you can actually, like, see in the shadows, like, her back is getting ripped open to shreds. It's horrifying. <laughs> you know what? It made us the tough individuals we are today. Bambi's mom didn't have chunks missing from her back. I totally forgot about that part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, oh, oh. I just want to say real quick before we begin, I understand that in the first two episodes... You can, like, occasionally hear some little, like, bumpings and tappings, and I'm sorry. Um, It was my mic, and I did not realize that, like, as I was holding it, um, it has a stand, but I choose to hold it (laughs) because I'm stupid. Um, But as I was holding it, whenever I would adjust in my seat, which is a lot because I'm a fidgeter, it would bump into the holder, and that's why the bumps were happening, and I'm very sorry. I took it out of its holder today. So we will not get that, but I know it's in the first two episodes. I could not catch it when I was recording. It won't happen again, I promise, okay? <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know what? I got, you know, I listened to it, and it wasn't something that was, like, pronounced to me. I think you did a pretty good job editing it out. I did my best. Also, I realized in our first episode when we were making introductions, you didn't talk about your pets. I realized that, too. All right, yeah. so... Um, I'm, I'm Sam Squatch, again. <laughs> Take two of the introduction. Introduce myself. I have um, a few pets. I've had a lot of pets in my lifetime. I, I love animals. Mm-hmm. So I have a, I have a really old dog. She, she's an old lady. She's an old lady. She's 17. She is. Holy uh, crap. <laughs> yeah. I realize that's how old Emma is. Emma is, is very old. Um. It's crazy to me because she's seen me come home from every job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. She saw me come home from school and, like, 
middle school. Like, it's just yeah. crazy. So, 17 out of my 26 years of life have been with this dog that just cannot hear anything, can barely see anything anymore. But, you know, she's still kicking. She's still... Yeah, apparently she can't die either. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean so, knock on wood. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, so, I have an, a really old dog. <laughs> And I have an axolotl, which I I don't know if a lot of people have heard about axolotls, although I feel like they're kind of becoming popular. They're called the Mexican walking fish. Wait, what? Why walking fish? Is it because he's got little legs? Yeah, so it looks like a salamander, and then he's got these uh, head ferns. I call them head ferns. That's what they look like, little ferns. You didn't say, you didn't say the name. Her name is Luna. The, The Mexican walking fish, my axolotl, her name is Luna. She's the sweetest. She's the sweetest. It's we call her Looney Bin. <laughs> it's, it's a he, she. Not sure what gender she is there, but I'm just <laughs> glad that I didn't get another axolotl that was could potentially be a female, and then I'd be stuck with all these axolotl <laughs> eggs and not know what to do with them. My sister has a hamster. Audrey has a hamster. His name is Cheerio. <laughs> and he's still kicking. He's uh, nocturnal, so he likes to go for, like, a mile run at, like, 10 p.m. Oh, God. It's the funniest thing ever. Um, really hoping that we don't have our own uh, traumatic hamster story on our hands here. <laughs> but you never know. We'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out, in doing our hamster death research, there's a lot of them. <laughs> there's a lot of you guys are like, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> like, ah. Uh. Anyway, what are we um, what are we drinking today, Sam? Strawberry limeade punch. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> ding ding ding! We have a winner. We... Congratulations, Sam. <laughs> so this is our uh, strawberry limeade margarita punch. I have to say, this is a good recipe if you're mm. serving like a lot of people, because we're just the two of us down here in my basement <laughs> drinking. <laughs> But don't worry, we're champions. We can get through it. <laughs> Weekend warriors we are, okay? <laughs> so this is 15 ounces of frozen strawberries, uh, 24 ounces of lemon-lime soda. We just used Sprite. Uh, one can of frozen limeade concentrate, which is in the frozen section. Neither of us had really heard of this. I literally yeah. had to Google what it looked like. It's like one of those frozen lemonade uh, can. I didn't know what that was either, so... Uh, we got two cups of orange juice, a half a cup of Exotico Blanco tequila, or underneath it says, or one cup if you're feeling frisky. <laughs> How much tequila did you put in this? I put a cup in. There we go. Yeah, that's my girl. Because I'm, I'm feeling frisky, so. <laughs> and we are weekend warriors. We are. Uh, one bottle of dry champagne. I do have my favorite. It is Spumante, I think it is the champagne it's cheap but it's my favorite one i i i'm gonna admit that i do like cheap champagne every time i try the like really expensive champagne i'm like eh, it's good but it's not spumante like the like seven dollar bottle from the, the gas package. station <laughs> all right so we got one whole bottle of dry champagne and then limes and strawberries for garnish we forgot the strawberries we put them all in the punch so we just have limes yes. And I did not cut one of them correctly. So it just is kind of falling off of Sam's drink right now. I think now. It's, still, it's all about functionality, you know? But you know what's stupid? Is I totally, like, could have cut up a second lime because we have one. <laughs> but I chose not to. Because I was like, we'll probably need them later. No, we don't. <laughs> like, I'm... It's all functionality, you know? Yeah. I, I appreciate it. But um, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, we just used a blender. So we used a blender to do the strawberries and um, I put Sprite in the blender, which probably wasn't the brightest idea, you know, but it worked. Yeah, nothing <laughs> happened. It's fine. I poured it in and Allie looks at me. We just made eye contact and realized that I potentially just made this bottle rocket. <laughs> and we were like, fuck it. Let's do it. I'm like, there's tile down here. <laughs> Your parents knew what they were doing <laughs> when they did the basement over. Exactly. So, so yeah, so that's what we're drinking. If you want to drink with us, uh, we will put the, as always, we will put the recipe on our Instagram. So that way, again, if you want to join with us, you could do that. I honestly feel like this could also be like a great virgin drink. Mm. So if you are not into the alcohol, as the kids say. Um, <laughs> then you can uh you can you know just take out the champagne and take out the tequila and you're good to go um yeah i like it i think it's nice and refreshing for a a summer drink which is great because you know what summer's around the corner considering that yesterday and the day before we're fucking 90 degrees in new england like it's april calm down a little worried because how is it 90 degrees in April? Yeah. Climate change. Yeah. But you know what that means? It just means we're drinking this nice, light, refreshing margarita. Just a little sooner. <laughs> we don't have to worry, because the limes won't exist in a few years, but we gotta enjoy them now. Okay, we're all fucked. <laughs> it's gonna be Mad Max Fury Road real soon. <laughs> Anyways, cheers. Cheers. Cheers to um, <laughs> cheers to podcast. Cheers to global warming. Cheers to climate change. <laughs> and the fact that our politicians are doing jack squat about it. Woo-hoo. That's why I drink. I I also have to note that the strawberries are not fully blended. So this is chonky juice that we are drinking, mm-hmm. if you remember our first episode. We talked incessantly of how much we hated pulp. <laughs> And yet here we stand. I even but, heard make sure he didn't get the pulp orange juice. And yet here we stand. <laughs> oh, you know what, dude? I totally have a fucking strainer at home. That's okay. I kind of like the chunky juice. It's, it's, like, it's like a snack. Oh, so you're a pulp person now. You've converted. Anyways. Anyways. <laughs> There's no way to, like, graciously segue from, like, hey, so here's some strawberry pulp, and now we're going to talk about dead people. (laughs) So, I uh, set the tone with the um, Land Before Time. Yeah. Depression. Would you like to be depressed more to learn about the Clutter family? Absolutely. Listen, my spirit animal is the nihilist Luma from the new Mario movie. So, please. Please do the voice for Luma. I need to hear it again. Let's just, let's kick off this Clutter family story with the Luma voice. Fresh meat for the grinder. There's no escape. The only release is the sweet release of death. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) That's actually how it laughs. I haven't seen the movie yet. My dial. Her, her voice dial. Yeah, I guess I can do that now. So I literally have like this ongoing list <laughs> for that I've just been doing for fun because I'm like, I wonder how many voices I can put under my belt. 
You have a lot. There's definitely a lot in there. I have a lot of accents. I'm not that the best at impressions, but I think I'm slowly getting there. I feel. I was gonna say. I feel like you could get there. Like your impressions <laughs> could be spot on. So how are you gonna depress me today, Sam? <laughs> so anyways. anyways. <laughs> so the Clutter family. The Clutter family. Um, okay, so this takes place uh, 1959. Okay. Uh, in Holcomb, Kansas. Why are all these families in Kansas? I was gonna say, wasn't the um, what was that family? What was the name of the family? It, weren't they? In Kansas? Um, the Bender family. The Bender family was, was in Kansas? Kansas, and then I have two cases from Kansas as well today. What? Yeah. Don't go to Kansas. <laughs> yeah, I think if anything can be learned from this podcast, in the three brief episodes that we've done so far, it's just don't go to Kansas. Yeah. There's some whack jobs over there. Yeah. So the Clutter family is found murdered November fifteenth, nineteen fifty nine, in their home. By chief of police and his assistant. Uh, the father's name is er- Herb. Herb? I don't know. Herb Ertlinger. <laughs> Herb Ertlinger. Same? I know, like, if you say, like, Herb, like a like a spice, it's like Herb. But is Herb, like, the name? like, Or is it Herb, like Herbert? I've heard it both, say? I think. We're gonna, we'll just call him Herb. Herb. Out of respect for Herb Ertlinger. He owns a successful farm in Holcomb, Kansas. Uh, he went to church every Sunday. He was on many city committee committees. Uh, he took good care of his employees and didn't drink or didn't smoke. So he's like the he's a good boy member of society. I don't know how you would explain that, but like he's well liked in his. He's the good boy. He is the good boy. His employees like him. Mm. Um, everybody in church likes him. His neighbors like him. Bonnie May Clutter is his wife who's studying to become a nurse i will say that's quite a name i know bonnie may bonnie may clutter that's such like a that's very much like a main character name can we just talk bonnie about that for a second? bonnie may clutter what a name of the times too like oh yeah don't hear anybody named bonnie may these days no or anyone named bonnie i don't know a single bonnie i feel like any bonnie we would ever meet is gonna be like 100 years old <laughs> um she was studying to become a nurse and never finished she was bedridden and fragile after suffering from postpartum depression and their youngest child, Kenyon. So we have Herb, we have Bonnie Mae, and then we have Kenyon. Kenyon is the youngest son. Okay. What a cast of characters. So she's got postpartum depression, um, but Herb is always supportive of Bonnie Mae, so anytime she's facing any kind of depression, he's always there for her, takes really good care of her. Like, I'm telling you, like, this family is, they're all really good people. Aww. Um... Together, Herb and Bonnie had four children total, Ivana and Beverly Clutter, mm-hmm. um, the two oldest children who didn't live at home. Uh, they had, they moved out on their own. The two youngest, Nancy Clutter, who's 16, and Kenyon Clutter, who's 15. So total in the house, we have Herb, Bonnie Mae, Kenyon, and Nancy. And all four of them were found dead. Yes, November 15th. So you're probably going to tell me about this, but how were they found? Like, they were found by the yeah. by the sheriff, right? Yeah, I think it was the chief of police and his assistant. Um, Nancy Clutter is considered, quote-unquote, the darling of the town. She's an excellent student and musician. She's known for her kindness, intelligence, and diligence to her duties. Whatever the fuck that means. Yeah, I mean, that could literally mean anything. Diligence <laughs> to her duties, not entirely sure what that means quite an interesting way to describe someone but mm. you know 
she was her class president and leader of the Holcomb's 4-H program. Have you ever heard of 4-H? No. I always wanted to be part of 4-H when I was a kid. It's the fuck's 4-H? It's an organization um, that allows young people to learn life skills by doing. Oh. So you mean how school should have been? <laughs> kind of, kind of. <laughs> but it's like an after-school program type of thing. I always wanted to do, wanted to do the farming. Like one with all the animals. <laughs> That makes so much sense <laughs> for you as a person. Yeah. I always, like, I remember going to the Big E, that big mm. bear, and they had 4-H there that would show up and show you how to groom the cows and do all that stuff. And I was like, someday I'm going to be part of 4-H. You really are that Stardew Valley girl. Like, <laughs> I cannot relate to this. Like, the second that a farm animal comes near me, I'm like, mm, you can stay over there. That's fine. Is it you that, you, is it you that doesn't like goats? Who was I talking to that the goats freak them out? Is it you? Uh, maybe. I mean, I just don't like their eyes. That's what it is. They look- I asked you if you wanted to do goat yoga and you were like, fucking no. Have you seen their eyeballs? Yeah. <laughs> well, also, like, first of all, I don't like a little creature, like, running up on me. I don't, I don't like that. And I've seen, the only thing I've ever seen from goat yoga is that one clip from Unis Honest where Mark literally gets shat on by one of these goats and he's just deadpan staring at the camera as these little pellets just like just fall around him and I'm like oh yeah that looks so relaxing (laughs) having these tiny hooves on my back while I get shat on by a goat (laughs) no thanks so needless to say we didn't go to goat yoga (laughs) I know I did goat yoga once and I thought it was fun the only time that I got frustrated was when the goat started like eating my hair i kind of had to push it away no i know it sounds so enticing to you to get pooped on and have your hair eaten. yeah isn't it the same having kids <laughs> yeah that's why i don't want kids <laughs> you're literally like there's no selling point here for me. I know, I can, I'll, I'll never go to goat yoga with ally because of this anyways <laughs> side tangent number one uh so kenyan mm-hmm. is a little bit of a loner he has one friend that ends up getting a girlfriend and kind of leaves him in the dust, which is unfortunate because I feel like we all know that one that person feels, how that feels. Yeah. Oh, girl, that's my entire life. It's like as the chronically single friend. <laughs> that's been my. I ent- never make you feel like that. <laughs> no. Want to make anybody feel like you that. never do. I will promise you that you never do. Um, if anything, I feel bad because I feel like every time I see you, like Kurt becomes the third one. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I just spilled my margarita on my Sam. I always have some kind of mishap. So, uh, he ends up doing upkeeping his hobby alone. He likes to take apart uh, electronics and gadgets and put them back together. Ooh. So, you know, he probably was eventually going to become some kind of maybe a mechanic or engineer. Yeah. That's the stuff he really enjoyed doing. All right, so back to November 15th, after I kind of set the tone for who the family is. Mm-hmm. November 15th, 1959, the whole family is found in their home, bound, gagged, and shot in the head. Oh, okay. Casual. So this was personal. Someone had a vendetta. I mean, not good. So Holcomb, Kansas, had roughly 300 residents, 300 whole people. That's a small town. <laughs> Someone knows something. Okay. There's no way that... Okay. So exactly. I'm really continue your story. No, that, no, that's exactly where I was going, is no one's a stranger. Uh, it's a, I, In the article I was reading, it said, everyone and their cousin is welcome to dinner. 
and no one really locked their doors at night because everybody knew everybody in the town. See, the second part I don't mind, but the first part, I don't know. When I invite someone over, that's it. Don't, don't ask me if X person could, I don't know your cousins. Like, hey, this is my cousin. Hope you made enough food. Yeah, no, I like to plan. I'm an introvert. <laughs> right, me too. I need to know how much energy I need to exert. Mm-hmm. So, two men. Perry Smith and Richard Highcock. <laughs> First of all, can we talk about red flags? Highcock! His name is Highcock. It's literally spelled H-I-C-O-C-K. So you can imagine he probably was very bullied in school. I I mean, <laughs> you know, I know people can't pick their names, but like, my unfortunate. Uh, that's a very unfortunate name. Also, my brain immediately went like, "Hey, what's his first name?" Richard. Hey, Richard. <laughs> Wait, Dick Highcock. Dick Highcock. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck. Hey, Dicky. Oh, a little fucked up in the head. Hey, Dicky. <laughs> hey, Dicky Highcock. How's your cock? Oh, it's high. <laughs> I'm such an asshole. <laughs> okay, so two men, Perry Smith, Richard Highcock, <laughs> yep. believed that the Clutter family was wealthy, and they ended up murdering the whole family with the intention of robbing them for everything they had. Wait, Mr. Highcock murdered them? Mm-hmm. <gasps> two those two men. I knew it. With a name like that, he has to be, like, some sort of goon. Number one. He's some, from birds. Some rap scoundrel. <laughs> Uh, so the two men were given a tip by a fellow prisoner while in jail that the Clutter family kept a safe of at least $10,000 in it, in their wall. Who was this prisoner? So, somebody that claimed that he worked for Mr. Clutter on the farm. And they were just visiting this man in no, prison one day? They were in prison. They were in prison with these two people oh. said, oh, this guy's loaded. Oh. Okay. It's making sense. It's all coming together. It's all coming together now. <laughs> um, so needless to say, there was mm-hmm. no safe. Uh, the family lost their lives because of this. They didn't even have... The fools. Right. The fools. Right. First of all, you don't need to murder someone to steal their money. <laughs> you don't I need to do it. that. Why is that necessary? It's right. not. <laughs> so... This is funny because I start calling him by their last name. So Highcock and Smith mm-hmm. entered the- <laughs> What a duo. I, listen, I was so focused on Highcock, I didn't even realize that the other guy's name is just Smith. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Perry Smith is his first and last name. So it's boring and interesting. <laughs> um, so they entered the front door of the family home armed with a Savage Model 300 gauge shotgun and a big knife. Okay. You know, in a town where everyone and their cousin is welcome, of course you're going to invite some stupid characters like these. Right. With that with that statement. So, um, what I didn't add was this was the middle of the night. Middle of the night, they entered the front door with okay. his weapons. They found Herb in his bed with his wife, woke him up, and began, began interrogating him about the safe. So obviously Herb knows nothing of what they're talking about. Can you yeah. imagine, like, first thing when you wake up, like, and somebody's like, where's the money? And you're like, am I dreaming? Dude, like, I don't even know where my foot is when I first wake up. <laughs> like, what's my name? What year is it? Um, when the interrogation began, Herb obviously had no idea what they were talking about, and the criminals realized that they had received bad intel. So at this point, 
at this point, when they just started interrogating him, is when they realized it wasn't true. So instead of doing the smart thing of being like, you know what? We technically have only really committed the crime of breaking and entering, but we didn't really break because the front door was unlocked. And instead of just walking away, they decide, you know what? Let's bind and gag and murder these people. Let's just take it up and ante. Like, just, like, yeah, crank that (sighs) dial. And I don't know who decided. Like, I wonder if one of them had decided, like, to just take it that far. And the other one's like, okay, like, this is what we're doing now. (laughs) It's because one of them was thinking with his high cock. (laughs) Okay, all right. So we've already we've already assumed that it's Diggy Highcock. <laughs> He's totally the ringleader. Are you kidding me? Perry Smith is just along for the ride. <laughs> it it totally is like a um, like a Marvin Harry situation from Home Alone. That's what I'm picturing this, this the whole time. I'm reading these articles about it. I'm like picturing them. We shouldn't be laughing. People have died. I know. <laughs> this is. Up. Up. L- n- listen, this is my coping mechanism. Okay. I laugh and make jokes when I'm uncomfortable. That's why we were laughing when Littlefoot's mom died. <laughs> we were not, first of all. We were like, oh my god, she has chunks missing from her back. Oh my god, I watched this when I was seven. No, you know what we were, t- you know what we were doing? We were totally talking about how Sarah's such a bitch for no reason. She's such a racist little asshole. Yeah. I, don't, I, I remember as a kid thinking she was mean, but like watching it now, like holy shit. She straight up is like, I don't hang out with long necks. And you're like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Constantly gaslighting all of them. She is. I'm not scared of anything, bitch. <laughs> you're literally the biggest weenie. Oh, so I have a quote from the county sheriff. Okay. Kevin Bas- Baskew. He states, um, they asked Mr. Clutter where the safe was. And of course, Mr. Clutter had no idea what they were talking about because there was no safe. I don't think that they still felt safe and they didn't drive all the way across kansas for nothing so that's what police think that they were just like all right well we came all this way so we might as well murder someone exactly you couldn't just be like got your wallet on you and just bounce so highcock later confesses to hearing a gurgling noise when smith cut her herb's throat before shooting him in the head um it's kind of it's 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 really sad because he was telling the truth. I wonder if he just would have given them the money if he had had it. Yeah. So, basically dragged him out of bed, brought him down to the basement. He kept saying that he didn't have the money. There was no money. And they cut his throat, shot him in the head. Highcock told police that Perry Smith had cut the hell out of him. Oh. So, the... Had a little fun with the scissors the, there, huh? The boring one was the one with the knife. Oh, joy so highcock describes mr clutter's last moments in graphic detail well you know what you should do you should lay them all out for me so he stated this is a quote Mm -hmm. as i pulled the trigger there was a flash of blue light and i could see his head split apart oh it sent a chill down what an image oh my god like a flash of blue light and then his head splits open yikes so they had brought the herb down in the basement can you imagine like being his i mean i don't even know if it had caused such a commotion like are the kids still asleep the wife obviously knows that something's going on mm-hmm. and then hears this downstairs why didn't she run i don't know i don't know what you're doing in your bedroom the whole time two men have your husband in the basement you know what i'm doing i'm fucking do something i'm jumping out the window i'm no i'm getting my kids and then i'm jumping out the window get the kids and get out fucking grab the um 
the thing next to the fireplace, one of those like really thick iron pokers, and then arm yourself and grab your kids and run. Or just start screaming. You have neighbors. Right. Just wake somebody else up. Yeah. Um, at this point, when they realize there's no safe, they could have fled, and it would have been an armed robbery and breaking and entering, but they took their personal anger out on this family, the, the two men. Um, the rest of the, fam- the Clutter family after this was tied and bound by their wrists and ankles, and they began to shoot. Um, Mrs. Bonnie May Clutter was next, Nancy followed, and Kenyon was the last to be murdered that night. Herb Clutter was killed in the basement, tied to a mattress. Bonnie was killed in their bedroom. Nancy was killed in her bedroom, and Kenyon was killed tied to a piece of furniture and shot. What? They all died alone. What is the what is the point of tying them up if you're just gonna sh- what? Mm, I don't know. Like if they had realized that there's no money, like why are you tying them up? What? Why is this necessary? Makes no goddamn sense. The whole the sad. I mean, it's sad that they got murdered, but the saddest part that I read about was that they were all basically brought into separate rooms of the house and died alone. Oh, God. Not that you want to die. I don't mean, anyway, I don't want to, but... I don't want to see, I don't know which one I prefer, because I don't think I would want to, like, be in the same room and, like, like, if you're, like, the last kid and you're basically just watching your whole family die in front of you, one by one, I don't think I would want that. I mean, you can hear it anyways. You can hear the shotgun. I know, but I don't want my last moments to be seeing my mother bleeding out. I'm good. I'd see their head split open. I can't. Just that image sent a chill. Mm. This is a hard name to pronounce. Mitchell, Mitchell Geisler, I think is the last name. Geisler was the chief of Garden City Police at the time, and his assistant's name was Rich Rodler. And the killers made off with almost nothing. They stole a total Stupid. of $50. <laughs> A pair of binoculars and a transistor radio. I'm just, I'm laughing at this point because it's like so ridiculous. You know, I should continue. I'm just gonna get, I'm just gonna get angry. The whole like, family is murdered over 50 bucks, binoculars, and a transistor radio. That's it. They're everything. She was in nursing school. The mother was in nur- nursing school. They owned a successful farm. Like, just, they were, they were good people. Why can't an asshole die? Why can't we just. It's always the good people. Talk about, like, these brutal, brutal assholes getting their just desserts. Just once. I'm gonna need a second drink after this. (laughs) So, the assistant police chief was an excellent photographer who actually snagged a photo of a bloody boot print that belonged to Smith. Ooh. Smitty boy. Other items that police found when they arrived at the scene that ended up bringing the two men to justice include a bloody rope and tire tracks that were later traced to a car in Perry and Richard's possession. <laughs> they drove off and they were able to track the tire prints all the way back to where they were. Talk about being fucking sloppy. Oh, just in case you guys want to know, Alex is getting up and walking away. <laughs> so they ended up tracing Perry and Highcock. Um, and the murder weapons were found with them, so obviously they're guilty. So I'm going to go into a little bit of history about Perry and Dickie Highcock so that we can kind of go through our little checklist. Get out your bingo cards, kids. <laughs> Perry Smith was abused his whole life. Of course. His father was abusive. Perry was taken with his siblings to what they thought was to be a safer place. His mother was an alcoholic and died after choking on her own vomit. And her children, including Perry, were left in a Catholic orphanage. 
the children were abused by the Catholic orphanage and ended up escaping to a new orphanage run by the Salvation Army. Gotta love those priests. Right? It's always the Christians. I'm kidding. <laughs> so Perry states that an authority figure when he was a young, a young boy tried to drown him. An authority figure tried to drown him. So now he's got a vendetta against authority figures. Okay. Two of his siblings commit suicide at a young age. So there's a, there's a lot of trauma that this there, guy is facing. This guy's got a laundry list. Holy shit. And the last sibling moved away with no contact. So Perry's pretty much by himself. Maybe it's for the best. Do like a fresh start right. after that. He ends up, Perry Smith ended up joining the army and fought in the Korean War and was honorably discharged in 1952. He caused fights and then was sentenced to 5 to 12 years in prison, which is where he met Richard Hycock. Aha! Uh-huh. It's all coming together! <laughs> so, a uh, little bit of history on Dickie Hycock. Mm-hmm. He was born into poverty. He was talented and popular in high school, and he was an athlete. He could not continue his professional career because of financial constraints. Okay. He became a mechanic, got married, had three children with his wife, and one with his mistress. Oh. Dickie Highcock. Thought he could get away with uh, having a mistress on the side. <laughs> little honey. little sugar for a night and day. Um, so, for, for Dickie Highcock, he ends up single in the end. Oh, so yay. he's got all the ladies and ends up with none. This is why you don't have two honeys at once. Unless it's consensual for all parties, okay? Um, in 1950, Highcock was in a bad car accident, and it distorted distorted his facial features. So he looks a little, like, a little scary on the outside. Like what? Like that kid from the Goonies? Like, um, uh, I guess he just looks like a monster. What a, what a, what a great way to describe someone's, uh, it's almost as if they judged him really quick. Without considering, like, hey, this guy probably had to have facial reconstruction surgery after a brutal car accident. Oh, you look a little scary. Oh my god, you're like a monster. You chose to look like that? Oh my god. god. (laughs) You chose? First of all, even if if he didn't get a brutal car accident, that shit's, like, you're basically being like, wow, your mom didn't cook you all the way. (laughs) Something ain't right. I feel so bad for that guy. My God, it's so unfortunate. <laughs> um, Dickie Highcock ends up turning to petty theft when he's single. Mm-hmm. And it lands him in jail where he meets... Mr. Perry Smith. <laughs> so after... That's before the murder. That's the, a little backstory on them. Okay. So, a, so after the murders, March 1960, Highcock and Smith are put on trial in Garden City, Kansas... Each got four counts of first-degree murder. Wow. The case, the court case, was closed in a week. Oh! That's... That's not good. That's not good, Mr. Cocky. (laughs) Um, Perry and Richard are sentenced to death by hanging. Oh, so did they actually die by hanging? Yes, they sat on death row for five years. Can you imagine? (laughs) April 14th, 1965, they were hanged. Richard's, <laughs> Dickie Hycock's ex-wife ends up showing up that morning <laughs> to, to apologize because she had written him a nasty letter 
<laughs> weeks prior to him being hanged. Wait, no! Don't apologize. He deserved I it. I feel like she wrote him a nasty letter and then realized that he was going to be hanged, and then was like, "Oh shit, I don't want to be haunted by his ghost, and I was nasty, and I'm going to go to hell." And then, oh, so she was trying to pull a smart card. I, that's what I'm assuming because. <laughs> I mean, why else would she be like, I'm really sorry about that letter that I wrote? Like, like, okay, what Karen on Yelp goes back to the pizza place is like, listen, sorry, I put like a one-star review. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. So people say that after talking to him, like reporters, when they talked to Dickie Highcock, you could tell that he felt sorry for all the pain he caused a lot of people. I don't believe him. I don't either. It kind of like fuck you but like i guess he had he made his choices yeah like i'm sorry you your grave lay in it like what what's this what's this saying made your bed now bed. lie in it yeah like i i mean like i i always feel like a little bad for like people like perry who you know like they just have like one shitty thing after another after another happened to them but you still made your decision yeah. meanwhile it seemed like Mr. Dicky Cock over there. <laughs> it just seemed like he had multiple opportunities to make good decisions. You know, like, he could have not had a mistress. He could have, you know, been faithful to his wife and, like, done all these great things. He also could not have murdered four people. But he did. But he did. He Maybe. did because he was a little angry. Fucking get over here. <laughs> Perry Smith on death row. <laughs> Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Painted ocean paintings and wrote poetry while on death row. Look at him. I actually have one of one of the poems. Wait, sh- shut up. <laughs> you do not. So one of the poems I have it says, um, written by Perry Smith. But he who thinks man is bare, discarded of pride by force, has not the depth of soul to share. Emotions at its source. Perhaps my eyes shall never reach the light of freedom's skies, but forever my hopes will span the breach to keep my human ties. Holy shit, that's actually not a bad poem. It's like, like kind of deep, but it's kind of like... You could tell he's been through some shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. See, if he had just done that with his life, he'd be the next Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. But no. Nah. He decided to split someone's head open. He had a nasty attitude while on death row and kind of came off as cocky and full of himself. But he doesn't have the name for it. His lack of education showed in the way he spoke is what people said. Okay. What they said. While he was on death row, they were kind of like, yeah, we can tell that you didn't go to school. (laughs) Damn, what a fucking shitty thing to say about someone. So... The Clutter family is memorialized by their city with a public park in Holcomb, Kansas, today. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. So, yeah. Damn. Are you depressed about the Clutter family? I think I'm more just, like, angry. <laughs> like, I just... High cock? I don't understand Sam. <laughs> it happened again! The fucking line, you guys. <laughs> You really just, like, cannot take that last sip, man. No, I can't. You always try to shotgun it, and then you get smacked with a lime. So it happens when you're a weekend warrior. (laughs) Weekend warriors get smacked with limes. (laughs) Oh, my God. I I treasure you, Sam. I treasure you, too. Oh, man. 
Now it's my turn to yeah. depress. Listen, okay. I'm ready to be depressed. I'm gonna Hold on. So I have with me an old Polaroid camera that I brought with me to Mexico. And um, I still have a couple of shots on it. And so what I wanted to do today was to take a picture of Sam before I tell her this horrible story. <laughs> I'm going to be laughing uncomfortably. It's so bad. It's, it's bad. bad. We'll, we'll talk. We'll get into it in a second. All right, now smile. Do you ever like hear a story and you know that you personally have not done any of the horrible things that are listed in the story, but you still feel so horrible that you might as well have done it? Because clearly the people involved do not have empathy, but you do. Oh, oh, the story is so bad that you feel guilty about it. Yes. Okay, I get it. Okay, so I just want to start off. There's no gracious way to segue to this next story. It is really bad. Um, This case covers child abuse along with sexual assault against a minor. So if you are not comfortable with that, please, like, this is why I wanted to do this story last. So that way, like, if you are not comfortable with it, because it's a lot, (laughs) um, please do not feel the need to listen more. Just, like, tune into the next episode. Hopefully those ones will be better and a lot less graphic. Because it, I'm not even joking, it starts right off the bat. So. People are fucked up. Yeah. Fucked up, unfortunately, and there's a lot of true crime cases that include that. Yeah, and I'm I'm very curious to see what your thoughts are going to be at the end of this case. So I just want to warn you, it's a lot. With that being said, let's just dive right in, okay? Lisa Montgomery was born on February 27th, 1968, and was immediately thrust into a history of abuse. Her father was in the military and basically never around, but her mother, Judy, was a fucking basket case, let me tell you. Um, she was an alcoholic. It was actually drinking while pregnant with Lisa. So that obviously led to brain damage. And it also did not help that she was verbally, physically, and mentally abusive to her two girls. Some punishments included being hit with brooms or belts and having their mouths taped shut. She even left them out in the snow naked. Oh my god. Wait, when was this? What year? Uh, 1960 is when she was born. Um, so... According to a later interview with Judy, Lisa's first words to her mother were, don't spank me, it hurts. Her first words ever in life? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's just proof. I just, yeah. So I I have this like ongoing list of cases that I wanted to talk about. I definitely wanted to talk to you about this case at some point. And then I, we were like trying to pick new cases and I look at Sam like, oh, just pick a number between x and y and then you picked it and i was like okay yeah even if i don't know it it's okay no but you know what this will lead to a greater conversation at the end and i the like stories like these do deserve to be told because like you have to be aware of people like this and be empathetic to those who are different than you because you do not know what they're going through that being said let's continue um so when lisa was three years old and within arm's length a male a male babysitter was raping her eight-year-old sister diane this happened multiple times over the course of a few months um diane was then later taken by social services and brought to foster care where she was placed into a loving environment where she could heal from her trauma and readjust to normal life however lisa stayed for some reason social services only took diane and not both children that's interesting yeah i 
we're just gonna we're just gonna barrel through okay so at some point lisa's mother um divorced her father the one who's in the military and remarried a man named jack who was a mean drunk and consistently abusive to both the mother and the daughter but the physical physical abuse soon escalated when lisa turned 11 and jack began raping her once or twice a week for years um the assaults became so important to dear old Jack, that he actually built a room for Lisa in his trailer where he could basically keep her for whenever he wanted. Um, he also stored his alcohol in there, so whenever he was not around, she was drinking, starting at age 13. I don't even have words. <sighs> yeah. Um, he soundproofed the room so that way no one could hear Lisa while she was inside. And as an extra precaution, he would even smother her with a pillow while the assault was occurring. Once during one of these assaults, she actually did fight back, but Jack slammed her head onto the concrete floor until she became severely brain damaged to the point where years later, this injury would still show up on MRI scans. Wow. Yeah. There's, honestly, there's no coming back from that. No. She didn't start off great anyway because she had brain damage from when her mom was drinking with her while pregnant. And now this shit happens. She's not even 14. So, the sexual abuse continued for years, and when Lisa was 14, the mother actually caught Jack in the act. However, instead of being concerned for her daughter and being like, um, get off my baby girl, what the fuck are you doing, you monster, she pulled out a gun and blamed Lisa for seducing her husband, asking her over and over again, how could you do this to me? What? (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 listen, this, this case makes my blood boil, Sam. In what what dimension are you fucking living in that, like, that is okay? First of all, you're victim- Yeah, you're victim-blaming. Blaming. What were you gonna say? She's 13. (laughs) She's 14. 14. But but it still doesn't matter because she's a minor and that's your husband. Like, she's not even a full-grown woman that can, like, defend herself. No! And and she's struggling against a full-grown man and the mother comes in. You're supposed to be- the protector as a parent. Mm-hmm. This is an example of somebody that obviously shouldn't have been a parent. Her first child got taken by social services. So why didn't social services come back and say, if this mother is not able to take care of one, maybe she's not able to take care of the other one. I'm not joking when I tell you that literally every system that could have failed this poor girl failed. And we're going to get into the full extent of it. Because there, there were so many times where something could have been done or stopped, but they, it wasn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, literally the one person who is supposed to protect Lisa in this case does not do that. And because, like, that was the one factor that Jack was afraid of, of like, oh, what if I get caught? Since nothing was done after he was caught, it got worse. Um, for example, Jack would invite friends over and they would take turns raping Lisa for hours. Um, according to one of Lisa's cousins that she confided in later on in life, there was even an incident where they gang-raped her for five hours and then pissed on her. Oh my god. Yeah. It's- none of this is fun. Um, I'm just gonna keep barreling through, because I want- yeah. Um, as if this wasn't bad enough, Judy herself would prostitute Lisa. If something needed to be done around the house, like if there were some faulty wiring, or like they needed something done with the plumbing, she would like invite over electricians and plumbers and all this other stuff, and be like, hey, I don't have any money, but I have a daughter. Oh my god. Yeah. (sighs) okay um so of course like at some point this is going to become way too much for this poor girl so she like i said before she had confided in a cousin 
Um, I don't know how old his cousin was, though, when she did confide in him. Um, I know that he later becomes a uh, sheriff's deputy, but I think they probably were kids um, at this point. So I don't think that this kid, like, knew what to do or, like, who to go with with this information. Because, like, like, if you're, like, 14 and one of your cousins comes up to you with, like, this horrible, horrible, like, basket full of trauma, like, what are you going to, what are you supposed to do? Who do you talk to about that? You know what, like, too, I feel like I'm thinking of my mental state as a 14-year-old. Yeah. Obviously, I don't have any of that trauma, obviously. Mm-hmm. But as a 14-year-old, you're still in that mindset where adults are kind of the know-all, and they, they've done everything, and they know mm-hmm. what you're talking about, and they're your protector. And if, if I had a cousin come to me at that age and said, this is what's happening, I'd I feel like I would be so confused because I'd be like, mm-hmm. well, the, the adult knows what to do. But the adult's the one that's doing it. Right. Yeah. Like, there's no direct way to handle that as a kid. And I try to imagine, too, of, like, you know, when I was that age, like, was I even confiding in my parents with everything? Like, obviously I wasn't. So, like, how would I have gone about that if I took in information like that? I don't know. So Lisa had also gone to authorities at some point, but was either ignored or nothing was done. A doctor at one point had examined her and found evidence of the repeated rapes, but did nothing about it. Not only that, but when Judy had finally divorced Jack, Lisa took the stand in court about the sexual abuse. The judge ridiculed Judy about not reporting everything, but then never reported the rapes himself. So that's, that's three different authority figures that are literally doing nothing. On top of social services not doing anything in the first place. Like, so we now have four different systems that are built in because they're supposed to be helping people and they turn a blind eye to this poor girl. The moment that she turned 18, Lisa escaped from her household because, of course, she would. Um, she married her stepbrother, Carl Bowman. However... <laughs> I just, I'm laughing because I'm I just, it's ridiculous. Um, the abuse continued. He was just as shitty as her stepfather. He also repeatedly raped her, sometimes on camera, and sometimes with ordinary objects like bottles and pipes. So hold on, this is Jack's son? I don't know. I don't know if this is like one of Jack's sons or if this is like somebody from like the first marriage. So one of her brothers, again, I don't know if this is like a stepbrother or a brother from like a previous marriage or what, he had actually found one of these tapes um, of Carl and Lisa um, and like could not take his eyes away because it was so horrifying and traumatizing Um, because not only was it like his sister, but it was also like severely violent, Um, but it was like so uncomfortable for him that he didn't even know like how to talk to lisa about it because a he wasn't really aware of like it was just like some sort of weird consensual thing where like they made the tape together and there was like some very brutal and like weird like role playing going on that that is a thing i don't understand it but it is a thing um and like so he didn't know if like that was what was going on um he didn't know if it was like an actual like brutal sexual assault so he just didn't know how to talk to lisa about it he did notice though that she had like 
this very like dissociative she had like these dissociative spells um where she just kind of like was in her own little world and she wouldn't really be there when you were talking to her um several family members noticed this but they thought that she was just like a like a daydreamer um it's ptsd and it's dissociative like disorder not probably not identity disorder but like it's some sort of dissociative state that she keeps coming in and out of kind of like the brain has too much going on absolutely um so carl and lisa had four kids together they had them in very rapid succession yes they had four kids together they had them in very rapid succession and one thing that i will note is that homegirl loved being pregnant because she of course like when you go when you are going through this very traumatic childhood you're gonna love the attention that you're getting when you are pregnant you know like i i feel like anyone who's pregnant is gonna get like like a decent amount of attention like you know like people are just like strangers are friendlier to you and like everybody in the family is like asking about the baby and how you're doing so she loved that because like of course she's not getting that anywhere else in her childhood or in her real home i mean like her husband's a piece of shit but like it seemed like the abuse would kind of scale back when she was pregnant so she loved being pregnant um but then in 1990 lisa would have her fourth and final child who was two months premature so after this happens doctors are like hey you are probably high risk now because of your last baby was two months premature so for your safety and for the safety of other like children that you may have it's probably best if you get your tubes tied and obviously she was heartbroken about this because again she loved being pregnant but she did go through with a procedure and after she gets the procedure she claims that she's pregnant on two separate occasions but like everyone knows it's a lie um and this drove carl crazy because he's like i know you're fucking lying i was there when you got your tubes tied. So I guess like this drove him so crazy that he actually divorced her. And in 1998, the two finally got divorced. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> that's that's why. That's the line. Do like I know you're lying about being pregnant instead of being like, let's talk about this. So honey, honey, do you think that somebody who's gonna make brutal tapes? is gonna talk to his wife about anything emotional no but i just think that like that's weird that that's the breaking point that he's like (laughs) i love how this is the point that you're like hold on (laughs) yeah so they got divorced and then lisa gets married again to a man named kevin montgomery in 2000 uh she took her four kids and moved in with him almost immediately after her divorce with carl kevin had three kids of his own plus his parents so altogether there were like 11 people in this fucking house cheaper by the dozen am i right (laughs) um so much so thankfully kevin's a nice guy this time like so she's finally getting a break um but so he doesn't know that she has her tubes tied so on three separate occasions she lies again about being pregnant um is this just a cover-up so that people treat her more i i think so or like i wonder if like maybe because she definitely had some brain damage going on i wonder if like maybe she was associating like the times with being pregnant with like like happy memories and like just wanted to kind of keep that in circulation or something um so 
unfortunately, though, each of these times she would have to break the news that, like, she either got an abortion or she miscarried or something because she wasn't actually pregnant. Um, each time Kevin obviously believed her because why would she ever lie about being pregnant? Um, but you know who didn't believe her? Uh, Carl and Kevin's ex-wife. Um, so I guess Kevin's ex-wife knew that there was something suspicious going on because every time like Lisa would be like a little weird when it came down to the pregnancies. Um, and of course, you know, each time there's like some sort of weird phenomenon where she, like, loses the baby or whatever. So, oh, yeah, because that was the thing. It was, like, she, when she had, quote-unquote, miscarried, she told Kevin that she donated the baby's body to science. All right, that's a weird... <laughs> it's like... Yeah, it's it's very odd. Um, I mean, like, I don't want to question her because girls been through so much trauma, so I just want to be, like, okay. Yeah, that's probably what Kevin was doing because um, I guess he was, like, a little gullible. So, like, that on top of, like, he's probably just trying to be very gentle to his wife and being like, you know what? That's okay. Like, I trust that you did the right thing. But, like, his ex-wife is like, nah, there's something going on. So, the two kind of swapped stories and Carl had heard that she was continuing to lie about the pregnancies. And um, he, so now Carl, who was sick of her lies, but apparently not sick of being an abusive asshole was now determined that Lisa was unfit to take care of her four children. So he filed for custody and planned on exposing Kevin to the truth about the whole thing during the court hearings. Um, It also didn't help that Lisa... So the third and final time that she had claimed that she was pregnant was while the court hearings were happening. Or, like, while the papers were being served that he was filing for custody. Um... So she had caught wind of Carl's plan and panicked. Um, She didn't want to lose custody of her children, but also didn't want to give up the facade that she wasn't pregnant. So basically, she just didn't want to admit that she had been lying. So the court date was scheduled for January 25th, 2004. And coincidentally, the last baby was scheduled to be due on January 16th, 2004. So that gives her a little time. We're now going to jump to, like, a different character in the story. Um, So, in 2003, Lisa had been chatting online with a 23-year-old woman named Bobby Joe Sinet. Sinet? Sinet. I don't know how to pronounce really hard sometimes. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce this last name. Um, So, her name is Bobby Joe. She's 23 years old. She's vibrant. She's live, laugh, loving. And they connect on a website called Ratter Chatter, which... <laughs> So, Sam, what do, you, what do you think Ratter Chatter is about? I hope it's like a farmer's only situation. <laughs> um, I'm, so you're, you're off the mark. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, so Ratter Chatter um, was an online website. You know, like the really old, like not the really old, but like the really new websites that like from like the 2000s where like you could just make a website about anything. Yeah. Um, so there was one called Ratter Chatter where people could gush about their love for rat terriers. Oh, I see. I was, I thought you were going to say, and be like, ah, you're kind of right. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it sounds a little weirder than farmer's home. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's how they initially got into contact. Um, Bobby Joe and her husband, Zeb, actually ran a dog breeding business, um, which is how Bobby Joe and Lisa initially came into contact. 
The two had met at several dog shows and had bonded outside of Ratter Chatter because they were both dog lovers and because they were both pregnant. So it was Bobby Joe's first pregnancy. So, of course, her and her husband were, like, really excited. And Bobby Joe was also excited because, like, she was pregnant at the same time as one of her friends. Um, so, like, they shared tips and growing pains. And Bobby Joe took a lot of advice from Lisa because it was her fifth pregnancy at this point. Um, so it's like, it's like our moms when they were pregnant with us at the same time, you know? Um, January 15th, 2004. Bobby Joe came into contact with a woman named Darlene Fisher. Darlene was interested in buying a puppy from Bobby Joe but because one of her uh, females had just given birth to a new litter. So the two had planned to meet up and Bobby Joe gave Darlene her address in Skidmore, Missouri because the breeding business that her and her husband Zeb had run was like out of their house. So she gives her her home address. And the next day, on December 16th, 2004, Bobby Joe's mother, Becky, entered the house to find her daughter lying on the dining room table in a pool of blood. Her stomach had been slashed open, and the baby was gone. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's unpack that. Um, How, how are you doing, Sam? Somebody has the baby. Mm-hmm. Remove the baby. Mm-hmm. She's obviously dead. This lady's dead. Bobby Joe's dead. Yeah. Um... Her mom tries to call 911, and they try to revive her, but it just doesn't work. But they had a lot of hope that they're, that the baby was still alive. Um, Amber Alert was issued for a red Corolla that had been seen in Bobby Joe's driveway earlier that morning. And for any details about the newborn baby. Um, but so, interesting thing here. At first, the Amber Alert was denied because there had been no protocols proceeding to assist with the abduction of an unborn baby. Like, how are... Like, holy shit. Yeah, like, so an Amber Alert is like, hey, this is what the child looks like. This is what, like, who they were last seen with, what the details of the car are like. But how can you issue an Amber Alert when you don't even know what the baby looks like? Right. So, they had a few issues with there. And at first it was denied, but then they... Uh, the Amber Alert was granted, and all eyes were out for the newborn baby and a red Corolla. That was basically the only details they could really give. So back at the crime scene, there was no evidence of forced entry, meaning that um, Bobby Joe had known her attacker. There was evidence of a violent struggle, and coroners de- determined that Bobby Joe had been strangled until she passed out. However, there was also evidence of blood on her feet, which means that... Her stomach was cut open and the pain and shock brought her back into consciousness and she got up and tried to fight off the attacker again, which then the attacker strangles her once more, this time actually killing her. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've been sighing so many times. I just like... This is a heavy case. It's very heavy. So there were two very key clues that helped investigators find the perpetrator. One being that blonde hair was found in Bobby Joe's fist. Um, and the other came from a member of the Ratter Chatter community. When they had heard about Bobby Joe's death, they remembered that Bobby Joe was planning to meet up with Darlene because Darlene was going to uh, pick up a puppy from her. So she, this, this Ratter Chatter community member reached out to police, gave them all the, the details, and they were like, okay, we can track her IP address. So they tracked down Darlene's IP address to Melbourne, Kansas, and found that the address 
was for one Lisa Montgomery. They also found her red Corolla and Lisa's brand new baby girl, Abigail. Um, just like that. <laughs> just like that. Take much. Wow. <laughs> so the thing that was right, odd right out of the gate was that Abigail had a small cut over her eye. And when they asked Kevin about Abigail's birth, he said that Lisa told him she didn't give birth at a hospital or at home. Um, instead, she went to a birthing center in Topeka. This is your daughter. It was literally so quick. Also, I'm like totally moving around like no big deal. Like, how was it showing? Like, I don't know if she had phantom pregnancies or not. I know that eventually her lawyers tried to play it off that she did have phantom pregnancies, but I don't know if that's actually correct or not. Um, which, if that were the case, that would make sense. Um, but, like, there are actually women who never show and then, like, give birth. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> there is, like, a whole show about it. Like, yeah. Ah, oh, I felt like I had to poop, so I went to the bathroom. And then there was a fucking baby. <laughs> Yeah, so according to Kevin, this is what she told him. So she went to the birthing center, and then later that day, she had called him and asked him to pick her up at Long John Silver's. First of all, I don't know why he ain't questioning, like, you good, honey? Do you want to, like, lay down? Because so he picks her up at the Long John Silver's after, quote-unquote, walking from this birthing center in Topeka. And then... The two of them, like, go gallivanting around town and, like, showing off the new baby. I'm so su- Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't ask any questions because how the fuck did you just give birth? And you're like, let me just walk to this long down silvers. Yeah, from Topeka. Listen, I understand that Kevin's ex-wife was like, he's fucking gullible. But I don't think I realized, like, just how deep it went um, until, like, shit like this happens. So when, uh, so when the police had asked kevin like why this didn't raise a red flag he informed the police that lisa had a history of not liking hospitals which would make sense because that doctor just fucking did nothing early on in her life so he kind of like shrugged it off because he was like oh that that's lisa um somewhere in the middle of the interrogation lisa asked to speak with officers in private so then once they had stepped away from kevin lisa told the officers a conflicting story about how she had actually given birth at home and tossed the placenta in a nearby river. She just yeeted the placenta. Like, <laughs> after giving birth by herself. Like, what? First of all, gross. Yeah. Why would you do it in private without your... This is your husband's baby. Where is the logic in this entire episode? First we had fucking Dickie Highcock. <laughs> and, and now we got Lisa. Ugh. Of course, these two stories are conflicting, and there seems to be a few details that don't add up, so they round up Lisa and bring her back to the station. After a few hours of intense interrogation, Lisa ends up confessing, because of course she's fucking guilty. There's no way you're going to get out of this. Yeah. Um, Lisa Montgomery had premeditated Bobby Joe's death and the abduction of her unborn child, apparently on the 15th, so the day that she came in pretending to be Darlene Fisher, she actually drove the 130-mile trip to Bobby Joe's house from her house just to kind of, like, see how long it was going to take her to drive to and from. And she also wanted to get acquainted with the area. Wow, she really thought this through. She thought it through. Like she showed up, slashed the lady, took her baby, and left. Nope. Um, she also had watched several videos online that depicted C-sections and home births. 
so that way she would know how to cut Abigail out of Bobby Joe without hurting the baby, and more importantly, how to take care of Abigail in the moments after the forced C-section. Um, Lisa then packed a cord and a kitchen knife and made the drive back the next day where she executed her plan. Um, after her confession, Lisa was charged with murder and kidnapping. Um, I'm going to call the baby Abigail from here on out because I know what her name was, um, what you call it, was changed to when she was, she was given back to her father, obviously, and her name was changed, but I don't know. I feel like she was a baby during this and we should probably maintain her privacy, so I'm just going to call her Abigail. Lisa Montgomery went on trial for capital murder, which is a federal crime, so she was brought way up into the system because of just how heinous it was. Um, The brutality of this crime is one unlike any other seen before in the U.S., if not the world. Uh, Because of the severity and the dramatic and the traumatic details, this case spread like wildfire, making global headlines. And of course, Lisa was deemed as one of the most evil women in history. Her lawyer sucked ass. (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you. You know what? Every other person has failed her, so. So, yeah, we might as well just keep going with the lawyers, right? Um, apparently there were three to start and the three of them met up for dinner and were more focused on who would handle the case than how they would handle the case. And then when they couldn't come up with an agreement, two of them left. Wow. Yeah. They decided for them. Yeah. Right. Um, so the judge reassigned two other lawyers to the case, one of which currently has the most clients in death row out of any lawyers in the U.S., good for him (laughs) so don't hire this guy (laughs) um i think it was also like his first federal crime like defense case so they met up with her only three times before the trial which is not good and did a piss poor job at describing what a so first of all they didn't even like have her trust so they couldn't get out how horrible her childhood was which probably would have like given her like a little bit more of a lesser sentence or would have like put her in like a rehabilitation center or something instead of like sticking her in jail for the rest of her life um however they still tried to make the argument that she was innocent by the reason of insanity but they couldn't really do that because they didn't have all the details of why she was insane quote unquote um not to mention uh it was a team of all men and lisa did not trust men obviously um i guess one of the attorneys had tried to kind of like get his wife to go in with lisa and like get a rapport going on there but just didn't really pan out um also one thing to note is that prosecutors would downplay lisa's stepfather's sexual abuse by arguing that she was a willing participant which she is not (laughs) the jury deliberated for five hours before charging her with capital murder and a judge sentenced her to death making her the only woman to be on federal death row at that time. Okay, so there's more to cover. Just want to say right now that I'm not condoning what Lisa did. Obviously, it was fucking horrendous. There is no reason why you should ever attack anybody. Not only just... And and you shouldn't take somebody's baby and you shouldn't take it out of their stomach, killing them. Don't do that. And I'm not saying that that what she did was right. But I do think that we have a very broken individual here who needed help in several different places and was denied at each turn. Yeah, she should have been hospitalized, not put on death row. That's my opinion, at least. Um, so I know I, like, very briefly went through the trial, but I'm actually going to break down, like, 
just some of the mishaps that happened during the trial. Um, so no one cross-examined her. So, okay, we already talked about the fact that nobody really knew about the level of the sexual abuse happening during her childhood. Um, they definitely could have called up her cousin as a witness because he was privy to that knowledge. Um, and even if they didn't get it out, at least that they could have gotten it out of him because he knew about at least one of the incidences. He was also a sheriff's deputy, so that's a trusted source of information in the court size. You know what I mean? Um, so they did cross-examine him, but they didn't ask him about her childhood. So this is actually a direct quote from him. Uh, yeah, so he said, it took me... So he said, it took me longer to take the oath than to give my testimony. I couldn't believe they didn't ask me any of these questions. So, like... It just drives me nuts. Um, Jack and Judy um, did take the stand, but they denied any and all abuse allegations, obviously. Um, they had died a few years ago and never admitted to the abuse or the full extent of the pain that they inflicted on Lisa. Um, every single tactic that her defense team tried did not sit well with the jury because it just didn't have enough grounds to stand on. Um, like I said, they tried to play the uh, the phantom pregnancy as, like, a reason for her to be, uh, quote-unquote, guilty by reason of insanity or innocent by the reason of insanity. Um, but obviously the jury's like, that's not enough for somebody to cut a baby out of a woman's stomach. Um, oh, yeah, that was the other thing, too, was, like, they tried to give her all these mental illnesses that she did not have. And so when they cross-examined these forensic psychologists, which um, forensic psychologists are specifically those who delve in criminal psychology... And who will, like, sit down with somebody that's about to go on trial or is being, um, or has committed a crime or what have you. And they will, like, basically, like, dissect them and try to pick apart, like, why they might have done this. Why, yeah. Um, and every time they would, like, her defense team would be like, oh, well, she has, like, postpartum depression. The forensic psychologist would be like, no, she doesn't. And this is on the stand. So, like, of course, that's going to be taken by the jury and being like okay well they keep trying to like say she's insane and giving her all these um diagnoses but clearly it's not holding up because even the psychologists aren't agreeing with it it wouldn't be until years after the trial with the help of psychologists neurologists social workers and a brand new team of appeal lawyers that all the details of lisa's upbringing would be uncovered neurologists had discovered that the part of lisa's brain that controls aggression and decision making was severely damaged so there was no way that she'd be able to know right from wrong. Forensic psychologists in the second, like, during the appeals process, diagnosed her with bipolar disorder, temporal lobe epilepsy, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which is often, that diagnosis is often given to, like, people who have been to war, um, dissociative disorder, psychosis, and traumatic brain injury. But these aren't given to her during the initial process. This is only being uncovered during the appeals process. There was even a social worker who had worked with veterans that served in Vietnam and Korea who said the way that Lisa described her trauma was very similar to how somebody who had been to war would respond to their trauma. Quote, and they even said, quote, Talking to Lisa was like talking to Vietnam and Korea War veterans who had been held in holes and bamboo cages under the most horrible conditions. Wow. 
um, this social worker even typed up a 184-page manifesto that gave excruciating detail of Lisa's childhood, but it would never make it to court. Um, there's so much other bullshit that I found and so much, like, there's just so much that I didn't even talk about because, like, it just starts to weigh. I mean, it's it, these social workers are typing up 184 pages worth. About her childhood. About her childhood alone. That's That's a lot. <laughs> Like, that's not including the abuse that she later, like, suffered when she was on her first marriage. Like, there's so much to unpack here. Um, so, L- Lisa's lawyers exhausted the appeals process until there was nothing more that could be done. <sighs> yeah, again, this was somebody that needed help in every sense of the word and was denied. On January 1st, 2021, a judge ordered a stay on her execution date to, to, uh, due to the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution which is meant to protect those with intellectual disabilities from cruel and unusual punishments. But it didn't fucking matter because this was overruled by the Supreme Court. And on January 13th, 2021, just two days short of the 17th anniversary of the crime, Lisa Montgomery died of lethal injection. She was the first woman in 67 years to be executed by the U.S. How's everyone doing? Um, Talk about just systems fail. I mean, here I am sitting here forgetting that she did actually murder someone. Yeah. You, yeah, you cannot overlook the fact that she did do something horrible. Again, I don't condone it. But you can't look at this woman's... Forensic psychologists are even saying, like, hey, she can't tell right from wrong. And you're going to still put her to death for it? That's not her fault entirely. She should be hospitalized. They uh-huh. hospitalize people for a lot less. Because mm-hmm. I, I looked at so many articles for this case, and one of them had described that, um, one of them had pulled a quote from, I think, like, the director of, like, Death Row or something in the U.S., and he had even said that, like, a lot of Death Row inmates have a lot of, like, similarities to Lisa Montgomery. Of, like, they have these very traumatic childhoods and, like, a lot of them are, like, kind of impaired in one way or another. Like, and, you know, there are clearly some who are Ted Bundys who fucking deserve to die because, like, yeah, they had shitty childhoods and, like, they were abused and everything like that. But, like, they clearly had no remorse for it and they clearly knew right from wrong that that is the line of guilty by reason of insanity or just guilty like guilty by reason of insanity is you have to have known that what you are doing you you can't tell right from wrong and that's what impairs your decision making and that's why you are guilty by reason of insanity that's why you are supposed to be in a fucking facility for the rest of your life because you don't know it's not your fault that you don't know but then you have, like, these assholes like Richard Ramirez who clearly did know right from wrong and clearly, like, took steps to, like, ensure that they wouldn't be caught and that they could do this over and over and over again. I don't think Lisa would cut people open over and over and over again. I just, I just think she was scared to lose her babies and did not have a good mental health to begin with. But then, like, she has suffered so many different brain injuries and has so much irreplaceable damage to her head that... I don't know. She did tear up a family, though, to try to save hers, and that's inexcusable. She should have been hospitalized for her whole life. Obviously, 
there were so many times throughout the story that her whole life could have been changed if an authority figure had stepped in. If she was taken by social services, her whole life could be on a different track. At three years old! Right, she could have so many different kids with, you know, and not have an abusive... I mean, the abusive marriage is... It's kind of one of those things that we talked about, I think it was... Which episode was it? Basically, like, you get the love... You think you... The, the love you seek is the love you think you deserve, mm -hmm. or the love that you kind of grew up with. So, was she watching her mother in abusive relationships, was, abu was abused by the men that her mother brought home, and then found someone that was like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to be treated as a woman. This is... Because, obviously, she's not all there, which is not her fault. And just... There are so many different times throughout that story that her whole life could have been thrown in a different trajectory, and it just didn't. The system... The system literally failed her from the time she was born to the time she was put to death. Yeah. The... So two things I want to, a couple things I want to touch on is one, there was another article I read where her sister Diane was actually at the courtroom and was like shocked of just how different her life would have been if she had stayed because she got to a good foster family that took care of her, that, um, that, like, allowed her to heal. She was eight years old when she was being raped. And there's so much to unpack. What the fuck is that, Sam? <laughs> I, I'm, like, trying to talk about my thoughts about this very gruesome and horrific case. And I look over and I see this doodle that Sam has of a hamster wielding a knife. Is that correct? Riding a chicken! What the fuck? <laughs> oh, my God. You definitely keep it lighthearted here, Sam. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I just, yeah, I think that, like, let's let's take a look at Lisa's case and just have her be the poster child for how horrible our system can fail us. Like, I feel bad for her. I feel bad for the lady that she murdered. Yeah. But I almost feel more bad for Lisa. I feel like the lady that was murdered, Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe. Yep. Kind of a wrong place, wrong time type of situation, but Lisa was just faced with constant mm -hmm. abuse. I mean, but Abigail's never gonna see her mom. Like you know, like we we talked about being removed on our first episodes, but mine was like you know a voluntary C-section. <laughs> so. Any time she's going to, like, ask her dad about questions, like, that she has about, oh, well, how was I born? Like, man's going to go through a fucking, like, torrent of mental images of his wife, like, being brutally cut open and his daughter being removed. Like, can you imagine? Like, he comes home and his wife is done and his daughter's missing? Like, he doesn't even know, like, what she looks like. That's horrifying. Moments, like the first yeah. moments. The first cry. You do um, skin to skin mm -hmm. contact. Like, it's those are crucial moments. Oh, God. She probably did skin to skin contact. Yeah, let us know what you guys think because I, I can very well see both sides of like some people think that Lisa is a monster. Some people think that, like, you know, she was 
continuously failed. I definitely lean more towards that way just because, like, I'm a very empathetic person. You know, like, psychology is a passion of mine and, like, I can't help but, like, look at all the diagnoses and, like, look at her psyche and everything and being, like, how was she ever, ever supposed to, like, make a decision about anything critical? Like, it's... She was set up to fail 100%. And it's just so unfortunate. But that being said, so per tradition, listen, I know you have one brought up and you have like a beautiful, beautiful cartoon. <laughs> Is it even related to the hamster death story? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a hamster. So like yeah. maybe a little bit, but riding the rooster, no. It's just so realistic. We'll have to... um. We'll have to post a uh, picture on our Instagram because, good lord, it's so good. I just, listen, I was, like, on a tangent about, like, my thoughts about psychology and the court cases and how systems are bound to fail us. And I look over and I'm like, what? (laughs) What on God's green earth? (laughs) All right, so do you want to... Ready for a hamster's death story? I'm so ready. Okay. So this is a um, post... That I read. It said, My sister had a hamster when I was like seven or eight. Our two friends came over once and were playing with her. Although our friends were being really rough and doing shit like rolling her down the stairs with her ball. During all that madness, she ended up rolling her ball under a pile of stuffed animals without us noticing. She suffocated there. (laughs) It took us a few days until we finally got A few days? What? Oh my god! <laughs> Cheers to that! Cheers to that poor, poor little furry creature. That met their demise under a <laughs> webkins. Oh my god! <laughs> Alright, well, thanks for... Hey, if you got through all of that, um, congratulations, you are now traumatized. Achievement on... Achievement unlocked. <laughs> I recommend you go watch Land Before Time on Netflix. Yes, yeah, so that way you can have a nice good cry. And we'll be seeing you guys on the other side of the tracks. Thanks for listening, listeners. Goodbye. Hey there, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Rigor Margaritas. We sincerely appreciate the support of each and every one of you. And if you liked what you heard, consider giving us a follow or a good rating on whatever platform you're using to get your podcasts. If not, totally chill. We're just glad that you were able to hang. Now, if you want to find us out in the wild or catch some behind-the-scenes shenanigans, you can follow us on our socials at rigor underscore margaritas on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. If you're interested in Sam or Allie's creative pursuits, you can find them on Instagram at sam underscore art 1020 or artistic underscore alley 97. We want to take this time to credit Matt Oakley for their song They Crawl for our intro and Crowander for the use of their song Crime Story for our outro. We'd also like to thank our friends, family, and coworkers for their constant support in the making of this podcast. And of course, to all you wonderful listeners out there. And remember, stay safe, stay weird, and stay curious. Oh, and it's always time for a margarita.